What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It is Monday, January 24th. I'm Gideon Resnick. And I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And this is What A Day, where we want to make sure you're sitting down before we tell you that Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader have been quietly dating for over a year. If you just crashed your car, uh, we deeply apologize. And we hope that you are getting the medical attention you need. We assume no liability for your injuries. On today's show, a wildfire in Big Sur forces evacuations, plus the Prime Minister of all of our hearts, New Zealand's Jacinda Ardern, canceled her wedding because of COVID. But first, let's take a look at the trajectory of the pandemic in the U.S. Dr. Anthony Fauci was on ABC's This Week yesterday and projected some cautious optimism. You never want to be overconfident when you're dealing with this virus, Martha, because it has certainly surprised us in the past. But if you look at the patterns that we've seen in South Africa, in the U.K., and in Israel, And that, as you mentioned just a moment ago, in the Northeast and New England and upper Midwest states, they've peaked and starting to come down rather sharply. There are still some states in the southern states and western states that continue to go up. But if the pattern follows the trend that we're seeing in other places, such as the Northeast, I believe that you will start to see a turnaround throughout the entire country. I will never stop loving that man's accent. He went on to say that hopefully over the next few weeks or months that cases could get to a point where they're not disrupting the entire country. Can you even imagine that, Gideon? No. I kind of can't. Not at all. So can you tell us how numbers are looking right now? Yeah, I mean, overall, to his point, they are starting to come down from an incredibly high peak of cases. Uh, Average daily cases are now closer to 700,000 than 800,000, which is where they were earlier in the month. That, of course, is still crazy high. Hospitalizations, too, are still at a record, but have started to level off. But we are once more talking about around 2,000 deaths on average a day, which is really horrific and represents where we have already been in terms of how many people have gotten sick. It is on the regional levels, though, throughout the country, like Fauci referenced, where public health officials are seeing some glimmers of optimism. Cases are falling, for example, pretty rapidly in places where Omicron first peaked, like New York City, Washington, D.C., for example. And the Times notes that case numbers are also declining outside of the Northeast in places like Florida, Pennsylvania, and Colorado. So it's not uniform across all states at this point. Cases are still going up in a lot of places. But what the country is sort of seeing is a trajectory that we saw in South Africa, which, of course, is where the Omicron variant was first ID'd. From about mid-December, which was the peak in South Africa, cases have fallen off substantially by about 85%. So it does seem to fall pretty rapidly. It definitely remains to be seen what comes next here, though, right? Like whether this Omicron surge ultimately leads to COVID becoming more endemic or not. No one, Fauci included, wants to say, of course, which is why the best we are getting right now is a bit of cautious optimism. I will take whatever we can get right now. It's so uneven that you can see reasons for future hope, even while hospital systems like those in Mississippi, for example, are under tremendous strain. Sticking with cautious optimism 
Just for a moment, the CDC published some new real-world studies on vaccine boosters in the U.S. on Friday. So can you tell us what those said? Yeah, I think the one that really jumped out to people was this analysis of hospitalizations from around August to early January. It showed that a third shot of either Pfizer or Moderna reduced the chance of hospitalization by 90% compared to a person who is unvaccinated. Wow. Now, the flip side of that, according to the lead author of one of the reports who spoke to the Washington Post, is that people with just two shots have seen a pretty big decline in protection against Omicron, particularly if it has been around six months after the second shot. The protection against hospitalization there was just something like 57%, so a pretty big drop. The research overall did show that the booster doses gave the greatest amount of protection to older people, with booster recipients who are aged 65 and older showing the biggest declines in severe health outcomes. Yeah, and so what more do we know about who is getting boosted right now? It certainly seems like it's fallen off a little bit. So the country appeared to be on a roll with administering boosters earlier this month as Omicron was really coming to dominate, uh, but that only pushed the overall number of people who have been boosted to just under around 40%. Now, granted, some people are not eligible yet because there hasn't been enough time since their last shot, for example. And the Post notes, though, that about a third of eligible people older than 65 have not gotten one yet. And that is concerning to public health experts. Only about 4% did so this month. The more free time these wonderful retired people have at home to watch Tucker Carlson do anti-vax slam poetry, the worse it is for our fragile country. uh, That all tracks. Um, Some public health experts in the article, though, were optimistic that new data around booster efficacy could help in the communication efforts, but that there also should be a refining of the message to target vulnerable populations better. We will get into more of all of that soon, of course. But Josie, you had something else pretty crazy that you wanted to talk about. Yes, moving away from our pandemic world and towards the world of the absurd, Sarah Palin versus the New York Times, Ah. a real-life libel case, goes to trial today. And even though it sounds like a Tucker Carlson slam poetry segment (laughs) or a sketch on Newsmax's version of SNL, it really is actually a big deal. So this case alone has the potential to change First Amendment protections for journalists. Yeah, everything I've heard about this has sort of made me a little bit uneasy for that exact fact. So can you give us the basics of this lawsuit? Sure. So it all goes back to June 2017, four and a half years ago, and also a lifetime ago in its own way. (laughs) Yes. Um, The New York Times published an editorial on the day of the congressional baseball shooting where House Representative Steve Scalise was injured. And the editorial argued that increasingly vicious political rhetoric on both sides could be encouraging violence. And in particular, the piece argued that, quote, the link to political incitement was clear between the 2011 shooting of Gabby Giffords and a map that Palin's political action committee had published that marked 20 congressional districts that Republicans hope to win in the next election with, quote, stylized crosshairs. Got it. And then it turns out, though, that in the incident of the Gifford shooting, there wasn't any evidence of that length that the Times had described. Right, exactly. So New York Times definitely, definitely made a mistake, claiming that there was a clear link between the shooting and the map. There's no evidence that that was the case or that the man who shot Giffords was influenced by that map whatsoever. Palin, write about that. Insert the worst person you know just made a good point meme here. <laughs> yep. So the New York Times did what it should have done in the face of a mistake like this, right? It corrected it. But yet we're here four and a half years later still talking about this mistake. Yeah. And so my understanding then of this case is that the burden of proof is 
on Palin then, right? But what is it that she actually has to prove? So she's bringing a libel case. And in libel cases, what a plaintiff has to prove depends on whether or not they're considered a public figure. And if they are a public figure, they have to meet a higher standard in order to win this case. So Palin has to prove more than just the New York Times was wrong, or even the New York Times was negligent. She has to prove that the paper acted with, quote, actual malice, meaning they lied, they knew they lied, and they lied maliciously. Right. And and all of that is an incredibly high burden of proof. Right. I mean, Sarah Palin is climbing a real uphill battle here, for sure. The New York Times is basically saying, look, this was an honest mistake. And she's saying, no, it was something deeper. But still, the New York Times did make a mistake here, right? And they are the paper of record. So even though it seems that the odds of winning are somewhat in the New York Times' favor, it's not a situation where, you know, the Times is going to come out looking great either. So what else should people be thinking about in terms of this lawsuit and its implications? Yeah, well, as you may remember, Trump really wanted and talked a lot about loosening the standards around libel law so that public figures would not have to prove absolute malice, which would make it easier for them to sue outlets that get things wrong. Mm -hmm. And at least two Supreme Court justices, both Justice Gorsuch and Justice Thomas, have openly expressed interest in reconsidering that high standard as well. And it's fair to say that this would be a really bad thing, right? I mean, of course, it's very important to have high standards for news outlets. Misinformation is rampant. So we all have a vested interest in the New York Times and other outlets telling the truth. But removing the actual malice standard would make it so much harder for an already struggling industry to stay alive. And it would leave journalists fighting worthless lawsuit after worthless lawsuit over minor discrepancies instead of really being able to do their job. Yeah, there are a lot of stakes here. You know, worst case scenarios, you could imagine how media could be changed in very impactful ways here. But since Palin is involved, there has to be something about this case that we can share that is also utterly insane to end on. Yeah, of course. We're talking about Sarah Palin here, right? So there's at least one thing like that. Apparently, there are some things the Palin legal team does not want to be included as part of the case because they might cause, quote, unfair prejudice and confusion. And a court filing from a couple weeks ago, her lawyers asked that two clips from Palin's appearance on The Masked Singer be hidden from the jury. (laughs) Those clips are listed as Masked Singer Video Reveal and Masked Singer Video Dancing and Rapping. It is true. Inspiring confusion is certainly what is happening for me, I will say. We're going to let you listen to these clips of Palin on The Masked Singer yourselves. And you can decide whether or not you think Palin's attorneys are using expert legal judgment to try to keep these out. So keep in mind, she is dressed head to toe as a pink teddy bear while she sings this song by Sir Mix-a-Lot. That's her voice? That's Sarah Palin, Gideon. Wow. That's not admissible in any public venue at all where where there are other humans. You know, I think post-Trump, we kind of forget, but it was pretty wild that she was steps away from being vice president. Yep. And it could have, yeah, all been uh, in a pink teddy bear suit and singing yeah. Sir Mix-a-Lot. Wow. The line between the mass Singer and the White House is thin, and Sarah Palin walked it. Very thin. So that is the latest for now. We'll follow this case, and we'll be back after some ads. Mm-hmm. 
Well, today is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, <laughs> everyone's getting flowers. <laughs> Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code WAD, books, promo code WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love Fast Growing Trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, and that's not because I have a green thumb, Okay. This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WAD. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. A fire in the Palo Colorado Canyon area forced hundreds of people to flee their homes along the California coast this past weekend. The blaze, which is now being referred to as the Colorado Fire, started Friday in a steep canyon and then quickly spread toward the sea. While it's unusual for a fire to happen this time of year, the dry weather and harsh winds of up to 50 miles per hour have created the perfect conditions. Authorities closed the stretch of Highway 1, the main roadway near Big Sur, on Saturday morning and put mandatory evacuations in place between Carmel and Big Sur. And on Saturday, flames were hitting the edge of the iconic Bigsby Bridge, which you may remember from the HBO series Big Little Lies. As of yesterday, the fire was 25% contained and stretched across over 1,000 acres of land. Authorities are still investigating the cause. A Saudi-led airstrike on Friday hit a Yemen prison run by Houthi rebels, killing at least 87 people and wounding over 200. 
And another airstrike that day led by the same Saudi coalition hit a telecommunications center, causing a countrywide internet outage, which was ongoing in most of Yemen as of last night. The Saudis and their allies have been fighting Yemen's Iran-backed Houthi rebels since 2015, and it has created what the UN has called the world's worst humanitarian crisis. This latest escalation comes just days after the Houthis used drones to drop bombs in Abu Dhabi, killing three people. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres condemned both the Saudi coalition and Houthis for their attacks and said, quote, What we need is to have, as we have been proposing from long ago, a ceasefire together with the opening of harbor and airports and then the beginning of a serious dialogue among the parties. Always great to hear calls for a serious dialogue in the middle of the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. Awful. (laughs) Awful. Consumers around the globe are struggling to keep up with rapid rates of inflation as countries set new records for price increases. In the EU, prices are rising at the fastest rate since the euro itself was introduced as a form of currency. Wow. The UK's annual inflation rate was the highest that it has been in 30 years, while Canadian consumers are watching prices rise at a rate twice as fast as they did before the pandemic. And here in the U.S., millions of Americans are struggling to afford basic necessities, even after receiving pay increases from their jobs. The rising prices have been attributed to supply chain disruptions, but economists say that government spending during the pandemic may also be to blame. In an effort to curb consumer spending, the Federal Reserve is planning on raising interest rates to make it harder for people to borrow funds. Tomorrow, its policymaking committee is expected to announce that these rate increases will begin in March. So if you are putting off getting that loan for that trampoline cafe that you've been dreaming of starting, there is truly no time like the present. As the old saying goes, always the prime minister dealing with an unprecedented viral pathogen, never the bride. (laughs) On Sunday, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern revealed in a press conference that she canceled her own wedding plans in light of the most recent wave of COVID. Last month, New Zealand delayed plans of a phased reopening after reports of Omicron's high transmissibility. And this week, they raised their threat level to a red light after health authorities reported a wave of new cases. When asked by reporters how she felt about canceling her matrimony plans, Ardern simply said, such is life. At least this way, she can be sure that something borrowed at her wedding won't be Uncle Artie's viral load. Now let's just hope we at WAD can get a full refund on the gift we bought for the happy couple, a beautiful Williams-Sonoma dining table we laser engraved to say, boss babe. It wasn't on the registry, but we really thought Jacinda would love it, you know? It is artfully done. And it's a commission piece that we are quite proud of. So maybe I'll just have to take the Boss Babe table now, Gideon. The shipping would be less expensive, I will say. So that would yeah. ease my mind on that front. Honestly, everybody wins. Yes. Everybody wins. It is true. We apologize for that, Jacinda. <laughs> and those are the headlines. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, materialize a year-long celebrity relationship from thin air, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just what a sandwich used to cost, like me, (laughs) What A Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe. I'm Josie Duffy Rice. I'm Gideon Resnick. And And we'll we'll be be at at the the next next one, Jacinda. Jacinda. Yes. We have multiple tables that we've had engraved, so don't worry. There's ample gifts. We have boss babe tables for days. We do. We run a boss babe table business, actually. (laughs) You're the lucky recipient of all of them. (laughs) 
What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Jazzy Marine and Raven Yamamoto are our associate producers. Our head writer is John Milstein, and our executive producers are Leo Duran and me, Gideon Resnick. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com.